I think it's fair to say that 2020 has made us all feel, at times, like we were living in one big confusing show. In the space of 11 months, it seems the world around us has been rendered one big makeshift set, constantly being torn down and replaced by crazier and crazier schemes. We found ourselves in the middle of it, as if the ground had been pulled out from under us, as if all the logic and sense needed for a cohesive narrative had been stripped away from the story as if at the mercy of a rogue director who'd gone off script and called action. For the last part of 2020, I spent a significant amount of time trying to remember it. It's been kind of insane, considering how much has happened, but somehow I convinced my best friend, now fellow co-host, that it was worth trying to retrace our steps, to look back at this year in an attempt to connect the wildness and absurdity of it all. When looking back, we can't help but feel like we are all simply characters. Characters destined to be swept along by escalating plot lines and unraveling chaos that can only be explained as some cosmic form of entertainment. And now, as this series is coming to an end and the plot should be wrapping up, so many of us still find ourselves unable to understand it all. It's like we've been given a mystery with no clues, a crime with no suspects, a story with no sense. Whether it's the fragments left behind by a global pandemic or the cries of racial accountability, whether it's the chaos of lockdown or the comfort of the stories we turn to, each episode we look back at each moment for the themes, the lessons, the victims and the perpetrators in search of, well, anything. Brought to you by Beaver Sound. I'm Luis. And I'm Judah. And you're listening to We Know the End. Chapter 1. This podcast is the story of 2020. Each episode retraces and remembers a defining part of this year, retold through our experiences as well as the experiences of others. We reached out to friends, family, friends of friends, and have gathered all the pieces they gave us to help us make sense of it all. So first things first. 2020 has been a near-apocalyptic pile of hot shit. In search of a cathartic release, or maybe just because we hate ourselves, let's take a moment to remember it all. We asked some people to list the events of this year, just from the top of their head. This was the result. Um, okay. January. Um... The bushfires at the beginning. The fires, lots of fires. Um, I feel like climate change. The impeachment. Uh, he was, Trump was impeached? I, that was this year, right? That was this year? There was like impeachment stuff somewhere in there, surely. I think. The World War Three memes that were happening on social media. War with Iran, like the near war with Iran. Was it Iran? Was it Iraq? I can't remember. Obviously, the very first coronavirus case is the biggest thing that comes to mind. The first case in Madrid. Coronavirus. Obviously coronavirus, because they COVID. <laughs> and then there was, um, <laughs> what else happened this year? 
Um, number one, Kobe Bryant dying. I think Kobe Bryant died. RBG dead. Naya Rivera died. Chadwick Boseman dying. Then March came. The problem is that COVID has kind of clouded my perception of everything else that happened this year. Lockdown. Lockdown one. Um, travel, like lockdowns and bans. Lockdown two, electric people in. <sighs> Were we out of the house by July? Black Lives Matter movement. George Floyd. The reignition of the Black Lives Matter movement. The end SARS movement in Nigeria. Anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Protests in Hong Kong. Racism in the uh, Conservative Party. Brexit like, actually happening. There's a new Supreme Court justice. Um, Boris. Uh, there was the eat out to help out thing. School meals thing. Oh, the GCSE and A-levels thing. Uh, what else? Many, many death, COVID death headlines. There's obviously the election, US elections. Um, oh man. Um, yeah, it's pretty much all basic uh, yeah. pandemic shit. So, if 2020 is some great mystery that we've tasked ourselves with retelling or piecing together or making some kind of sense of, then this episode has to begin with COVID. When we think of the versions of ourselves that existed 10 months ago, it's almost as if they've been rendered missing persons. When we try to track them down, or at least trace back our understanding to under a year ago, most of us collectively dismissed and underestimated the virus. It was probably something you just read in the news. My first memory of COVID, I think, was that I read about it in the news and frankly, I did not take it seriously. Seeing some Instagram news thing I follow, like, was talking about um, a rise of cases of this virus thing in Wuhan, um, and then, like, kind of spreading across China. And I was like, mm, uh, yeah, in, like, kind of an ignorant way, I was like, oh, that, that'll just be nothing. That'll just be one of those weird stories, like the stupid hornets or something, like the murder hornets. It'll just be one of those stories that, like, freaks people out for a little bit, and then it'll be completely fine. In January, one of my friends on a group chat that I'm on, he came on talking about some coronavirus, something, something, something. And I was like, whatever, man. It's just like this Ebola, like, you know, it's going to come and go. Blah, 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 blah. So when did you first hear about COVID? Or if you have like any memories around that time? No, I actually do have a specific memory. And um, because I remember one of the first things I thought was how much it reminded me of Station Eleven. Mm. Do yeah. you remember? Yeah. Um, because I'd read a headline. For some context, Station Eleven is a book that I read about two years ago when a friend recommended it to me. It tells the story of a deadly swine flu-like pandemic and goes back and forth through time to explore its deadly impact on our society. It's an incredible book, and when I first met Judah, I passed on the recommendation to her. She then passed it on to our third roommate, around December, who happened to be reading it at the same time as China began reporting coronavirus cases. But anyway, um, one of my first thoughts was um, about how much it reminded me of Station Eleven and kind of almost being creeped out, I guess, um, by the similarities. Um, we even had a discussion about it that time in your room. 
Um, and I was telling you about how even the symptoms of the virus were similar to the one in the book and how there are reports of it spreading and everything. Um, and just that kind of making, really yeah, and just kind of making all these like comparisons. Um, and I think we we probably joked like, um, oh my God, like, do we have to start doing like what they do in the book? Like, do I have to start stocking up? Like, am I ready to survive Like there's this? a cult in the book. Like, do we have to like join a cult yeah, like after like, everyone dies? And I remember kind of being like, oh my goodness, like if this is the apocalypse, like which one of us will survive the longest? Definitely not Like, me. I mean, it, it was, it's me. Like it's a rhetorical question. It's me. Um, but like, um, and yeah, I'm kind of just thinking of all these ominous scenes in like Bird Box or like um, I Am Legend or something. But just laughing it off, um, enjoying making connections with mm. what was going on in the world to this fictional book that we'd read. Um, because like that really was all it was. Um, just this crazy story that would fizzle out and be nothing. But as time went on, the spirit of blissful ignorance was corrupted by glimpses of worry. Not a major worry, nothing that still couldn't be dismissed and sealed away into jokes. But there are moments people can remember where they consider the possible seriousness of this virus. For some people, this worry came disguised as conspiracy theories from seemingly overprotective adults. Take Ellie, for example, who tells us about this situation with her friend's dad. Yeah, I think it was like reading week in February and I had gone home um, and I was seeing one of my friends and she was meant to be going to like Croatia or something in a couple of weeks. Um, and her dad came out and he like, to give some context, he reads The Sun as like his form of news, you know? Um, and so he brought out this like double page in The Sun of like how coronavirus was gonna like spread all over the world and like she wouldn't be able to go on holiday in a couple of weeks. Um, and I just remember brushing off everything he was saying um, and being like, oh my God, your dad's so funny, reading the sun, telling us we're all gonna die, that's so cute. He was right, the sun was right, which made me sad. Then there's Philippa, who when faced with the fear of actually having COVID, well, just listen. Right when the news came out that there were the first four infected, um, like, for cases in Madrid, I was sick and I had almost all the symptoms. So I was like, okay, holy shit, I'm gonna die. To clarify, not only had Madrid had its first four cases, the fifth one had just been announced at Filippa's university. The student had just returned back from Italy, played basketball with his friends, only to find out the next day he'd caught COVID while away. Back in February, a voice message he sent to his team was being passed around the school. And I remember Filippa playing it to me, panicked. Hello everyone, um, whoever is in this group is the one that played uh, last Monday uh, basketball with me. Um, unfortunately, I was found positive with the coronavirus. I'm here in uh, the hospital Carlos III. And if you have any of these symptoms, which is uh, fever, cough, um, dolor de garganta, uh, yeah, so it's preferably to, to test coronavirus. So her having a fever, cough, and a sore throat at this exact time felt like a pretty big deal back then. I kind of panicked there just because of the fact that it was kind of like uncertainty. And uh, I didn't really know how to, how to go about. So what did you do? Nothing. I just... Uh, <laughs> I went for dinner. 
remember when I first started getting worried about COVID was in late January. It was a Friday and this was the exact same day who had announced that COVID was a global health emergency. Mm. And I was walking to, to university and I just, I walked by a bunch of different pharmacies and they all had a sign outside them that mm-hmm. said, we're now selling masks and antibacterial gel and come get your flu shots. And there were, and there were just so many. And I remember for some reason or another, I couldn't go in, but I remember when I got to university making the conscious decision that after my classes were over, I was going to go into a pharmacy and buy masks. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, now it's, now it's the time to get serious and buy masks. And that's what I did. And I, so at the end of my classes outside LSC, I just went to a series of pharmacies that were there and all of them had run out of masks. Oh, wow. Like every single one. And this was still late January. So it was still in my mind kind of early. Um, but And I just remember when I was walking away from that last pharmacy with, you know, no masks and it was late afternoon. So London, like the streets were busy with cars and people and the sky was that classic London gray sky. And I just kind of like started feeling like something was happening that I couldn't quite see because based on the pharmacy, you know, based on the idea that the masks were running out, it Mm -hmm. seemed like people were, you know, doing something about this pandemic or this COVID. But then like the world around me, everything just kind of seemed like business as usual. Like everyone, the the streets were just, you know, normal London. And so I just kind of did like the only thing I knew to do which is I just grabbed my phone, like literally in the middle of the street. And I just started Googling like, okay, what should I do? Like, is there anything else that I should do to prepare for the pandemic? And the first thing that I saw was just buy vitamins, buy, prepare your immune system. I remember reading like some health experts saying, prepare your immune system to fight COVID. And like, for some reason that made me like, that was like really inspiration. I was like, yes, like my immune system, I'm going to get it ready. So I went into, um, what's that? Like Hol- Hol- Holland, Holland Hol- and Barrett. <laughs> yeah. Holland and Barrett. Barrett? Holland and Barrett. It's Holland and Barrett. Holland and Barrett. It's three words. It's not even three words. One of them is an and sign. Okay, like... shut up. English isn't my first language. Holland and Barrett. That store. <laughs> which is a vitamin store and I just went in and I um, spoke to the guy that was at the cashier and I was like okay COVID is going on what do I need what are the vitamins that I need and he ended up giving me vitamin C and vitamin B6 um, this orange and blue bottle or two bottles and yeah and I just got them and then I went to meet you that yeah later that I afternoon. remember like I'd message I was we were outside like Sainsbury's or something um and I'd messaged you like, hey, I'm here. Um, and you just came up to me like with like, like a mad conspiracy theorist. Like you're like, okay, like, I went into Holland and Barrett and like, here are these two vitamins I have. Like we need to stop praying. I'm going to... And like, I there was, are no masks like, left. There was no masks because like, it was like gone, ransacked, finito. Like, and I was just watching you and I was like, I've seen you this morning. Like how have you become this like radical, like conspiracy theorist literally in the space of three hours. Um, and I remember we even went back into that supermarket um, and- and was like um, getting all the food, and I remember like my, just my, like all the vegetables, all the vegetables, like, like anything that the has vitamins. a vitamin, you like carrots, peppers, broccoli, and I was like just walking around in my backpack with like raw produce all day, um, and I remember just kind of looking at you and being like, "This is so crazy," but then like your like reaction was scaring me and making me think, "Oh my goodness, I need to do this too." Oh. 
Although we were a little unnerved, as you probably gathered, I think a lot of us still dismissed our fear of the actual virus, or at least it's spreading on such a rapid scale. Because the truth is, Louis stopped taking those vitamins about two weeks after buying them. Ten months later, we still have those same blue and orange bottles, both half full. When we asked Mayenne, it wasn't the fear of actually contracting the virus that made her consider it seriously. Since her family lives in Singapore, she was understandably worried for them, especially since they were already dealing with empty supermarket shelves and panic buying all the way back in January. For her, however, the first indication that this virus might be something to seriously worry about, serious enough for her to feel unsafe, really had nothing to do with the virus, but rather about the ways people began reacting to it. And I think after that, it turned more and less on the virus, but more on like racism. And then he started seeing news articles of someone getting punched in the street and he was a Singaporean too. And then it was like, okay, it's definitely in London now. Just in case you forgot, earlier in March, Jonathan Mock, a 23-year-old student from Singapore, was physically assaulted in London in a racist attack. He made a post about it on Facebook that went viral, revealing a picture of his swollen and injured face. According to Jonathan, his assaulter said, I don't want your coronavirus in my country. This was not an isolated incident. By the end of February, the number of reported hate crimes against East Asians had doubled, with victims as young as children aged 12. By March, there were fears for the survival of Chinatown, with racist stigma and unfounded prejudices causing businesses to close. And then I started getting really, really scared because I remember that one day where it was like near March and then I was a bit wary about going out in London for that week before I left um, for my flight because like I was struggling like what if someone were to catch me on the street and like call, like say something mean or like oh COVID go back to Wuhan do I tell them that hey one well, Singapore is not China or do I just like keep quiet and, and, and just deal with it you know. I remember watching a video of these two Australian women in a supermarket fighting it out over some toilet paper. <laughs> and it just like the insanity of it all, it just made no sense. Yes, and I remember when you showed it to me, we were both so confused that people thought the news of COVID was so bad that they needed to stock up on toilet paper. Like this was still in February, right? And so I was like, why is my timeline looking like chaos? Like why are all these people being so crazy um, and it was kind of like this idea that we were just constantly bombarded with these stories of people like just being so dumb um, and it just seemed so irrational to respond in such a dramatic way when to a lot of us the threat was still so small um, and yeah like it really just made me lose a lot of faith in humanity. But this early denial could only last us so long. We reached a point where we could no longer identify ourselves as naive victims of something that was beyond our knowledge. Eventually, there was a unifying moment of realization that this was serious. For a lot of us students, this moment was the shutting down of schools. And so I think my final memory um, of COVID, or my last one where I was like, okay, this is going to become something serious, was actually the day school shut down. But in my head, like if I had to give this memory a name, it would be Tom Hanks has coronavirus because I remember <laughs> I'd woken up um, in the middle of the night to go get some water or something and you had been awake and you just like run up to me in the hallway. Like I'm super excited. Super excited. Like, I'm still half asleep. Like the lights are off. It's in the dark. And you just kind of grab me and you're like, Tom Hanks has coronavirus. And I'm just so like out of it and so confused. But like we kind of like speak about it for a little bit. 
And then I just go back to bed and go into school the next day. And in all my classes, everyone was talking about how, yeah, like, did you hear Tom Hanks and like Rita Wilson have coronavirus? And we were all just like, whoa, like this is like the first big, like high profile person that's got it and they got it in australia of all places um and then where I, the people were fighting over the supermarket toilet paper oh shoot yeah just saying oh my goodness imagine if it was them um but yeah and like amongst these like discussions of tom hanks and rita wilson having coronavirus there was also these whispers and rumors circulating that school was about to shut down um and yeah like by the end of that day in my last class um we all got the email at the same time um and it was like um from manoush saying that LSE was going to, was to go online uh, the week after. Um, and that was like a really big deal as well because LSE was the first university to go online. They did it way before government advice. Um, and we were, everyone was kind of like, oh, wow. And one of my friends in, in my class is Greek. And like the first thing that like, she closed the email and was like, well, then I'm flying home to Greece. Like, bye, guys. Um, She's smart. Yeah, she was. Um, but yeah, Tom Hanks has coronavirus. was like the last grain of normalcy for me. Grace and Lucy remember being in the media centre together with all their friends when the news broke. The news had just broken that LSE was going to shut down because of the pandemic and I was like, oh, oh wow, this is actually something that's really going to happen and all the third years were crying because they were going to have to like figure a way to get back home. Like we have people from Malaysia and Hong Kong and they didn't know whether they were going to get on flights. Um, and I remember me and me and Lucy just looked at each other and it was like sitcom voiceover, like, and that's when shit got real, you know, <laughs> like it went crazy. And I remember that day very vividly because I had many friends who were international students or general course students and I was sure I was never going to see them again and I remember freaking out but it was more of like a joke it was like oh no this is the end of the world countries began announcing national lockdowns and like dominoes one after another leaders were calling their citizens to return home Alice and Mayen remember other international students suddenly fleeing to different parts of the world um, and, and then I remember that that weekend, right after the announcement, all the Polish people disappeared. Um, and my Polish friend was telling me that, you know, they had connections with the government who'd confirmed that they would lock the borders um, very soon. And that that was the reason why they were kind of, um, you know, making this, this um, impromptu escape. And then I remember like the one day where all the French people were like running home. I don't know if you remember. No, all the French people were running home. Yeah, because like, Macron was going to close their borders. So that day, like within a few hours, like all my friends who were friends, they just like left campus and they were all packing their bags. I was supposed to meet someone for lunch and then like, sorry, I had to cancel, I had to go home now. And so like in a few hours time, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm like on the, I'm on the train and I'm back in Paris. With the call to return home, Adoma remembers being stranded. She tells us she was on a research trip in South Africa when they were told that everything was shutting down. She immediately tried to make her way back to Ghana. Um, and they were like, so we are actually canceling your research trip and you have to like go, like you have to leave. Um, so I think that was the day it really hit me because I A, had to buy a ticket within like 12 hours of traveling so it was like 
blowing $900 on a ticket, which is crazy. Um, and I think just being in the airport and seeing how few people there were and how there were people who were beginning to be masked up um, and arriving in Ghana uh, and with all the like checkpoints and have you been in contact with anyone who might have shown symptoms and all these different questions that was my real it, when it really hit me that like oh my god this is something that's significant in her last day of normalcy ellie was able to escape the chaos of london and find refuge on the pebbled beaches of brighton with some friends she spent one of her last days of freedom by the sea cleaning up the beach ellie's a proud member of the marine society and we went to Brighton a day or two afterwards. And it was like, COVID didn't exist in Brighton. Like they had so much toilet paper, so much bread, so much anti-bag. Like they were just having a great time. Everyone was in the pubs, it was amazing. And then I got the train back to London that evening and like I had to just pick something up in the shop. And like I went into a Sainsbury's and it was just like decimated. Like there was nothing left in the London Sainsbury's and I couldn't find toilet roll. And I had actually had to bring it back from Brighton because my flatmates couldn't find toilet roll anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, that was a big shock. And then I was like, I just need to go home. I think like 7 a.m. the next day, I got the train home. With coronavirus now being significant enough to bring the world to a rapid halt, it dawned on us that we as a society were ill-equipped to deal with it all. For Toby, it all sunk in when he learned of the ways we were attempting to prepare. Then everything just started shutting down. They're like, we're locking it down now. And, and the industries are closing down. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, maybe this is this is getting to a bit like a bit mad. Um, start hearing all this stuff about uh, hospitals being overfilled. I got a friend in Birmingham who does like all this, um, who does all this, um, like he does buildings and installations and festivals. They went to the NEC and they would get like paying like 300 pound a day to build hospitals in, in uh, anticipation of preparation for the hospitals being overfilled. And that's when it was like, oh, okay, this could be, you know, there's like hospitals being built everywhere. I think they had one in Excel in London, all over the country, you know, and it just, it just became this massive thing. It was just all, that's all you can hear about. And I think that's when it started to get a bit like. For Dylan, he worried if this preparation was enough. He told us about how back home in Australia, the government had been much more efficient and had managed to control the spread of the virus, resulting in very few cases. The UK, in comparison, seemed like it was falling apart. I don't think I really started getting worried about it until it was just like increasingly clear that we had no idea what we were doing. Um, and I think when there was discussion of herd immunity, then I was like very worried, especially because like you hear it coming out of number 10 and like Dominic Cummings is like obviously kind of running the show there. And like the fact that Dominic Cummings had expressed interest in stuff like eugenics and population control through scientific intervention didn't make me feel like I enhanced a particularly great people. And then I think when it started really like attacking care homes and you were having like 20,000 or not 20,000, but like thousands of people dying a day, then I was like, well, this is just completely terrible. As we record this now, sitting on my carpeted bedroom floor, sleep deprived, 
obsessing over small sound cues and transitions. One fact weighs on us. Yesterday, November 17th, marked the one year since the first reported COVID case in Wuhan. Somehow, after 53 million cases and record-breaking daily numbers, over a million deaths, all this can be retraced to one specific day a little over a year ago. And now, in a turnover of events, it seems as though 2020 has given us something most of us didn't expect. A semblance of finality. Somehow, from what seems like out of nowhere, there is now a vaccine, or multiple ones actually. If you think about it hard enough and consider the timing, it's almost as if 2020 is attempting to wrap up one of its crazy plots as we come to the end of the year. The details are still fittingly chaotic, however. There's Dolly Parton, who, in true iconic fashion, funded a million dollars to vaccine research. Reports that mouthwash kills coronavirus in 30 seconds. We also still have a long way to go. With the vaccine comes issues of distribution, approval, and finding a way to tackle growing vaccination skepticism, not to mention the millions currently infected and battling COVID. So although it feels like the end of some storyline, in reality, 2020 is far from wrapping up COVID in a conveniently tied bow. When we look around at the world now, in many ways it's unrecognizable. Whereas at the start, we could pinpoint all of these different memories we had and find our early recollections of the pandemic. Now, nothing is exceptionally significant. It's all, for better or for worse, been normalized and rendered noise. But no matter how clueless we were at the beginning, or how, like Lucy joked, this was the end of the world, one thing is true. We adapted. In a way, 2020 has introduced a new language. Terms like social distancing, quarantine and lockdown have now become entrenched in our daily vocabulary. We leave the house with a mask without even thinking about it. Cold symptoms mean you isolate. Our whole lives seem to be on Zoom, whether it's for classes or meetings or yoga sessions and birthday parties. This is our new normal. WhatsApp group chats and vitamin bottles, to last-minute flights and a two-page spread in the sun. From Station Eleven and Instagram headlines, to empty supermarket shelves and hospitals built overnight, we find ourselves here, amused by how those memories seem increasingly so far away. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we remember lockdown. We Know the End is presented, produced, and edited by us and brought to you by Beaver Sound. Intro music by Vagar Dreyer and outro music by Brooklyn Han. Logo designed by Ellie Reeves. Music contributions from Free Music Archive, featuring Blue Dot Sessions, and Roman Stollier and Ilya Belarukov, as well as Incompetech.com, featuring Habanera performed by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons.
A special thanks to Adoma Ado, Alice Norga, Alia Mormont, Charlotte Lynch, Dylan Stevens, Ellie Reeves, Felipa Campos Ferreira, Grace Chapman, Isabella Abbott, Lucy Knight, Mayen Chow, Shemilore Alujimi, Susan Odele, and Toby Abraham Silas for sharing their lovely stories. 